Time for us to begin. Turn your hymn books or look, look on the screen and sing. We're going to sing number 682. That's a different song. Different song. Yeah, we're going to, we're going, this is the song we're going to sing. It's just different numbers. Um, no problem. Uh, Joe Robinson's going to be our, uh, have our reading and our uh, prayer in just a few moments. And then Jeremy Miller, I believe, closes us uh, tonight. Let's be standing while we sing this first song. Whatever number it is. To God be the glory. Sing both verses of uh, this song, and then we'll have our scripture reading and prayer. Yeah. 
Good evening. If you would, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Let us pray. Father, uh, we just thank you for, for your uh, word that uh, we might uh, put it in our hearts, Father, and uh, use it on a daily basis. We pray that uh, you'll be with Chris as he brings the message this evening. Open our hearts that we may receive it, that we may uh, share it with our friends and neighbors, Father, and just show them the love of Jesus. We pray for each one here this evening, Father, that you might bless them, that you might watch over them and protect them, Father. And we also pray for our country, Father, that uh, you be with our leaders and uh, just ask that uh, they might uh, be strengthened in your word, that we might, uh, as a country, turn and follow you once again, Father, that uh, you might be able to bless this country. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Song of invitation, if you're using a book, is number 739. 739. Before the lesson, we'll sing number 776. Will your anchor hold? I ask that you stand again if it's convenient for you. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life?
Good evening. What's your best day look like? It's probably changed a little bit over the years, but when I was a kid, I remember my best day was probably a, a day at the pool, maybe. Uh, definitely the first day of summer was my best day when I was in grade school, right? Some of you guys are experiencing that now. Best day ever was when you've, you're as far away from the next school year as possible, right? Uh, when I was in college, my best day was usually on Sunday because uh, we'd go to worship, we'd come back, and we would take naps. <laughs> and we'd turn the AC all the way down and make it just as cold as in our room as we possibly could. And we'd sleep till evening worship. We'd get up and come back uh, after worship and go take another big, very big nap. And that was my favorite day uh, when I was in college. Since then, it's changed a little bit, right? And I bet yours has changed a bit, uh, too, although I'm sure naps are still a favorite. When uh, the day we got Titus and Abby and, and we were able to sign those papers saying that they were ours forever, it's a good day, right? It's the best day. Um, the days that Hannah and Ethan were born. I look back and those were, those were the best days. Um, what's your best day look like? What activity happens on that best day? Uh, what, what do you do? What are you thinking? What, what is your best day look like? Flip over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, that's where we're spending our time tonight. I want to tell you what God's best day looks like. You may never have thought about it like that, but tonight we're talking about what His best day looks like. What activity goes on in that best day? What happens during His best day? Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. Uh, you're familiar with these, right? We, we talk about these quite a bit. Uh, if you've ever spent any time in a, a, a Bible school or during a lesson, uh, you, you've probably heard reference to these three stories. I'm sure you've read through these three stories a lot. Um, maybe you've never looked at them through the lens that we're going to try to look at them tonight. The first one is the, the lost sheep, right? And so uh, the man has a hundred sheep and all of a sudden he notices that one of them's, one of them's missing. And so he does whatever shepherd in that day and age would do. He, he goes and he leaves the 99 here in the sheepfold with, I'm assuming, responsible other shepherds uh, to take care of them. And he, he leaves them and he goes in search of the, of the one, the one that's lost, right? Uh, and when he finds it, he throws this massive party and, and there's rejoicing. Uh, and that's the end of that story. The next story is very much like it. It's a woman who has 10 coins, but she's lost one of those coins, and so she, you know what she does? She sweeps her floor, uh, her house, until she finds that one lost coin. I guess it had fallen down in between the floorboards, and she finally finds it through, uh, through dutiful, dutiful service. Uh, she finds this lost coin, and when she finds it, she invites all of her neighbors, and she throws a big party. Joy is at the center of both of these stories. Of course, you're familiar with the last story that Jesus tells, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, it's... it's Maybe one of our favorite parables, right? Um, but a, a man has two sons. One boy, the younger of the two, walks up to his dad and essentially says, uh, I want what would be mine if you were already dead. And so the father, uh, assumingly here, uh, is, is deeply offended as any parent would be at this request. But he gives the boy what he asks for. And the boy goes far away. He's just about as far away from the father as he can get. And there he ruins his fortune and riotous living, I think is how the old King James would put it. But he's doing all the things that his father 
has told him to stay as far away from as possible. He's getting as close to those things as possible, and he is as far away from the Father as possible. So finally, he comes to himself one day, and uh, in the middle of a pigsty, because he's wanting to eat the food that the pigs would have eaten, right? You remember the story. And finally, he comes to himself, and he, he makes this decision in his mind. I'm, I'm going back to my dad's house, and even if I have to live like a servant there, that's what I'm going to do. So he gets uh, started back on the road, back to his dad's house. And the father's pictured as waiting, I suppose, on the porch, so to speak, for him. And he's, I'm assuming, from the way Jesus tells the story, been waiting there every night for the boy to come back home. And so on this particular night, he sees the boy's figure far away in the distance. And the father takes off running and he goes and he meets the boy out in the field and he wraps his arms around him and, he throws this massive party. He kills the fatted calf. He puts a ring on the boy's finger. And what was lost has been found. What was dead is now alive. And it's this huge celebration. And you remember the older brother. There's two, two sons in this story who are far from God's heart, aren't they? It's not just the boy who ruined with the fortune. It's also the boy who stayed with his father. His heart was far from him too, wasn't it? He wasn't in sync with the father's heart either, was he? Sometimes maybe we, we focus on the prodigal son, and rightly so, but maybe we give this brother too much slack. I think as we walk through the story tonight uh, and look at it from the way that Jesus is trying to tell these stories, the point that he's trying to get us to see, I, I think maybe you'll focus more on this older brother and give him um, his due criticism, rightly so. Um, his heart is, is just as far away from the father's heart as is his brother's. He simply stayed in place, but his heart's just as far away. He doesn't love what the father loves. He doesn't take care of what the father takes care of. He's not interested in what interests the father. And so when his brother comes back, the father wants to throw this massive celebration, but the older brother is so cantankerous, he won't even come into the celebration. He won't even set foot in the party he is so disgusted by his brother's activities. He won't even allow him this honor of being at this party that his dad has thrown for his younger brother. The dad comes out to, to meet the older brother. And he says, why are you so mad? And the older brother rehashes everything that, that's happened. And dad says, well, yeah, all the things that I have are yours. And you've, you've been with me all this time, and, and everything that I've got is, is yours. But he was lost, and now he's been found. He was dead. I'd given up on him. He was lost. He was gone. But now he's been found. These stories pull at our hearts, don't they? Because a lot of times we've been in those shoes. We've, we've felt those emotions, right? Um, and so... These stories, especially this last one with, with the, the, the two sons, the story of the two sons, they pull at our, at our heartstrings. But what is Jesus really trying to get at with these three stories? Well, look back up in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. He tells this story for a reason, right? All of the parables that he tells are told for a reason. Usually, they're in response to a question or a thought or a misgiving someone in his audience has. 
this one included. This is these these three parables are in answer to a feeling, a thought that someone in his audience is having. So Luke 15:1 tells us a little bit about that that feeling and who has it. So we need to we need to get through there so we can actually see why Jesus tells these three parables. So Luke 15 verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. So he told this parable. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Why does he tell these three parables? Well, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus' life and they're saying, You eat with sinners. You enjoy being around them. The problem with this is the Pharisees, these guys, they have maintained their holiness by separating themselves from everything that might be perceived as sinful. Seems like a good idea, right? You be holy as your Father in heaven is holy, right? There are a plethora of scriptures that talk about how we need to remove ourselves from sin. And so these guys may be forgiven for this thought. Certainly this is close to God's heart. Our holiness, our sanctification, our, our, our separation from those things that are in the world. He says, don't love these things. You love and think on these things. That's what he says in Philippians 4, right? You think on loveliness. You think on goodness. You think on all these things. These are, these are nobler things. These are things that, uh, that bring you towards righteousness, and so certainly, he says, you should think on these things. That's, that's exactly what they're doing. But they're doing it to the detriment of those who are lost. That might not seem like a big deal to us, but it's a big deal to God. So it needs to work its way into being a big deal for us. Their holiness is coming at the cost of Sinners. And when they see Jesus' life, he not only eats with these people, he has parties with them. He's not only eating with them, he's enjoying being around these people. And, and to the Pharisees who could, by touch, catch sin, this is anathema to them. They, 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 they don't get it. Uh, they, they, it's just not how their minds work. They would, they would have happily pulled themselves away from it. They understood what it meant to be holy, right? Sometimes we don't always understand what it means to be holy. We, we, we need to pull ourselves away from that. You can't love these things, right? That's, that's the word throughout Scripture. If you love these things, the love of God doesn't work its way in. You, what's Jesus saying in Matthew 6? You can't Love both God and money, right? He's going to say that about everything. Nothing can compete with God. He's a jealous God, right? We know that from the Old Testament. It's just as true in the New Testament. Nothing, he allows nothing to compete with him, right? Nothing is his equal. And he refuses to share us with any other God, any other thing that we would 
worship, any other thing that we would focus on, any other thing that we would sacrifice for. He says, I, I can't allow that. I have to be number one, rightly so, right? And so these guys understood that. Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we struggle to remove ourselves from the world. Sometimes we, we struggle with loving what they love. Sometimes we struggle with prioritizing what they prioritize, right? We, we fall into that agenda sometimes and it's easy to do because our culture sells us a, a certain standard and if you don't match up to that standard guess what happens you automatically are on the out right you automatically are ostracized and it happens among your friends it happens among your coworkers. it happens among your family if you don't match up to that standard that the world sells you you're automatically pulled away from you don't get invited to the parties, right? You don't, and that's not just parties where uh, things that a Christian ought not be doing are happening. This, these are parties just in general because they struggle to be around you because your standard, your mindset, your priorities are so vastly different, right? These guys understand that. These guys are the best at that. And, and we can learn a lesson from the Pharisees in that regard. They're not 100% wrong. They are misdirected. What they're doing makes sense. This, this, this pulling back away from culture so I can stay holy, so I can maintain my holiness, that makes sense. That's biblical. That's something we need to do, right? They've just done it to the extent that they can't negotiate, that they can't associate, that they refuse to associate with anyone who's not them. Jesus says that's to their detriment because that's not the heart of God. Right? That's Luke 15. That's why he tells them these stories is because they were so set on pulling back away from all the evil, from all the sinful things. They were so set on not being a part of that that they never associated with those people to teach them truth. They were happy to pull back away and just stay in their own little group. And you can't get in their little group because you're sinful. You're beginning to see the problem? Nobody's welcome in their group because you're sinful. You can't, you can't break in. You can't live a good enough life. You've already made too many mistakes. You, you, you prioritize wrong. You think wrong. You don't, you don't have the heart of God. When they don't have the heart of God either. He's indicting them. These three stories are not told to the sinners. Matthew's a tax collector, right? He would have automatically been on the outs. Mary Magdalene, that was uh, possessed by the seven demons, she would have automatically been on the outs, right? Um, uh, Judas, uh, the, the, um, not the Iscariot one, the, the, the one from Kerioth. These guys, uh, Simon the Zealot, all the, even the apostles, these guys would have been on the outs. They, they would have been on the outside of this group, looking in with no hope ever to be in this group 
because they, they, this group has removed themselves from their society in an attempt to be holy. What they're aiming at, their goal, not a bad goal, right? It's a good goal. It's good to be holy, right? He demands holiness. No doubt about it. He demands holiness. He demands you be different. You can't think like they think. You can't love what they love. All that's true. These guys have pulled away so far that they're not even willing to associate with anyone in a way that they can teach them. And so when Jesus does that, he gives us an example of how our lives should look like. How I can be holy and how I can associate with these folks in an effort to teach them. He maintains his purity while at the same time seeking and save those who are lost. That's why he came, right? To seek and save those who are lost. That's exactly what he's teaching these people here. He's not talking to the sinners. He's not talking to the Matthews. He's not talking <clears throat> to the Mary Magdalene's, uh, the, the, the robbers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all the other people that are in this group that he's having these feasts with, all these people that he's enjoying being around. He's not talking to them when he tells these three parables. He's looking directly at the Pharisees. This teaching is for them. And so what can we learn from that? What can we learn when it clicks with us that this teaching is directed at the Pharisees instead of the lost? Go back and look at your Bibles. Look in Luke 15 and notice the joy that he, he wraps each story in. What happens when the man finds the lost sheep? He throws a big party, right? He's excited. There's joy. What happens when the woman finds the lost coin? She invites all of her neighbors. They throw a big feast. There's joy. What happens when uh, the lost son comes home? Massive festival, right? This huge feast and there's joy. He's saying to the Pharisees, your hearts are not in line with God's. Because God's best day, remember that's how we open this, this thought, what's your best day? God's best day is when a sinner repents. That's his best day. That's not when a righteous person stays righteous. His best day is when a lost person repents. That's what he longs for, right? The passage Joe read for you tonight from Ezekiel 33 is an Old Testament equivalent to 2 Peter 3.9. Right, where he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, but all should come to repentance. Right, That's his heart. He wants you to be holy, absolutely. That's given. But his best day, the thing that really resonates with him is when a lost person comes to repentance. When one who was lost comes to him. He says, on that day, there's incredible rejoicing in heaven. When lost people in Jesus' day were coming, and they did come in droves, because he maintained his holiness around them. He didn't okay their sin. Sometimes we fall in that, 
in that camp, right? When we're when we allow ourselves to associate with those who prioritize differently than we do, who think and love different things than we do, often it's possible and likely that our holiness will take a hit because of our association with them, right? Jesus was so steadfast in his holiness that he, he's, he's immovable. And he didn't okay their sin. He let them know up front that repentance was necessary, that God was not pleased with what they were doing. He's not okay with sin, but he's demanding repentance. He's asking, pleading with them to come back. And when they do, there's this incredible joy in the Father's heart. When they came in Jesus' day, these lost ones, when they came to him, these guys turned their nose up at him. These guys pushed back. They didn't like that. They didn't like these type of people being in their assemblies. They didn't want to be a part of this type of people. You know what they were saying? Our hearts as far away from the father as the elder brothers is from his father in Jesus' story. Who's the old, who's, who does the elder brother represent in the parable of the prodigal son? He represents the Pharisees. You guys have done what was right on paper. Jesus says, you, you've checked the boxes. You've ticked off all the boxes. But your heart, your passion... It's far from me. I, I, don't, I don't know you. That's what he's going to tell these people. Their hearts, while they were doing all the right things, saying all the right things, he has a word for them later. Whitewashed tombs. He's not pleased with them. Their hearts are far from him. Throughout this series, this, this series we're calling Go, we're, we're walking through some great evangelism chapters um, and, and there's nothing um, outside of uh, just them being scripture that makes them special except that they've, they've been brought to my attention because they, they I think teach different themes that we need to, to hear if we're not thrilled to see lost people come to Jesus something's wrong with our hearts if we're not willing to work hard to maintain our holiness so that we can be a bridge between someone who is lost and the Father and have them kind of pull at us but maintain our holiness and we can pull them here. If we're not willing to make that sacrifice, something's going on with us that needs to be fixed. Our heart, His heart is for the lost. There's no doubt about it. You cannot read Luke 15 and come away with any other thought other than he is thrilled when lost people come to him. If my heart isn't thrilled when lost people come, my heart's far from him. If I'm not willing to make the sacrifices so that lost people can come to him, my heart's far from him. 
This is why this is a great evangelism chapter. Luke 15 is powerful. And there's so many lessons that we can and should take away from Luke 15. This is just one of them. But it's something, it's a, it's a reminder for us to prioritize this concept. The lost over us. Philippians 2.3 says, You need to count other people as more significant than yourself. Excuse me. Hmm. You need to count other people as more significant than yourselves. I think Luke 15 says, The lost are more important than me. And so I make sacrifices so that they can come. Because it's awfully easy for me to, to, to give lip service, to pay lip service to the idea that, that we're reaching out to the lost, that I'm doing my part. It's, it's awfully easy to pay lip service to that idea, but never actually make the sacrifices necessary that make it possible for them to come, that make it easy for them to come. Right? Do you see that? I need to make it easy. I need to do my part to make it easy for them to come. I think we do a great job of that here. Uh, Again, I can't tell you how many times uh, visitors come through our doors and say, it feels like home here. I I like it here. People are friendly. People are genuine. People are authentic. That's exactly the heart of God. I know you love lost people. This This is a good reminder for us to keep at it, to go deeper, to dig deeper in this, to be willing to make the sacrifices so that we don't ever just pay lip service to bringing the lost to Jesus, but actually do what it takes for us, make the sacrifices that are necessary to make it easy for them to come. Because that's the heart of the Father. That's His best day. That brings the biggest smile to his face. I don't think it does any injustice to Luke 15 to say that God is thrilled when you maintain your holiness. But there's a bigger smile on his face when one who is lost comes to him. I'm not saying throw away your holiness. Don't hear me saying that. You need to be holy. We need to be holy. We're a holy people, right? We're we're set aside, we're, we're sanctified, we're put aside for a specific purpose. This is the purpose, to reach out to those who don't know them. Don't be happy with just holiness. That's what these guys were doing. They thought they had made it. They thought they had achieved it. They thought they were there. Well, I'm holy. Yeah, you're doing all the right things. You're saying all the right things, but you're far from holy. Because your heart isn't like God's. You don't love what He loves. He loves lost people. If I'm not willing to make the sacrifices to make it easy for them to come, I don't love lost people. If I'm not searching this auditorium on Sunday mornings for for all of our visitors, that's something that I can do. That's something I can do to make it easy for them to come. I want them to feel welcome here. And so I'll go over and introduce myself and take them to some of our friends and we make them feel at home here. And that's something that we're very good at. Um, I'm just saying, keep keep at it. Don't, don't get complacent. I think we're in a, a spot now in our congregation that is God-given. 
there, there's no other way to um, make it make sense why we have so many visitors and so many opportunities, and we've talked to so many people. Uh, I was talking to uh, somebody a couple of uh, days ago, and uh, they said, yeah, we saw you guys at the fair. You guys just seem to do everything well. That sounds like exactly what we want them to say, doesn't it? That's exactly what we want them to think about our congregation. We do all things well because we serve a God who demands excellence. We don't have time for complacency. We don't have time for apathy. We only have time for focused, energetic, passionate service for Him. Lovingly calling the lost to Him. That's His heart. And so if I'm looking for ways to make it easy for people to come to Him, I think that's close to his heart. If I'm willing to make sacrifices of myself so that one more can come to him, I think that's close to his heart. I think that is his best day. I think that's his passion. That's what he loves. He loves our holiness too, of course. This is just part of it. You can't be holy without doing this without stepping out, without making sacrifices so that others can come. That's what these guys had done. They had made this mistake of separating themselves. And really, all of Israel had done this. They had made the mistake of separating themselves and saying, we're over here and you're over there. And if you want to do what you want to do over there, that's fine, but we're going to follow God's laws. But what they had forgotten is they weren't following God's laws either. He had always demanded that they care for the people over there. He had always told them to go get those people over there and bring them into his fold. That's what he loves. And so I need to find ways, make sacrifices, so that those who are outside feel right at home right here in his family. So that they can make it into the family. They're never going to Listen to what you have to say in a Bible study if they don't feel at home, right? That's what we're looking for. We want to be near to the heart of God, and this is what He cares about. So tonight, if you've not been baptized into Christ, you're still lost in your sins. You're not a part of His family. You're not on mission with Him. But that doesn't have to be the way it is. That can change. That should change because all... He wants, how did Peter put it in, three, in 2 Peter 3, 9? All to come to repentance. Just one more. He's looking for one more. And when that one more comes, there's a party in heaven. His soul is thrilled. That's what he loves. So tonight, if that's you, if, you're, if you've been thinking about spiritual things and you're, you've been waiting, don't wait anymore. Come forward tonight and be baptized, have your sins washed away and be added to this amazing kingdom that he's made us all a part of. Tonight, if you've already been baptized, you're struggling. We want to pray for you that you can be everything God would have you to be. Why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing.
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, youth group activities that are going on after services uh, this evening. The youth group will be going to Austin's at Marketplace uh, right after services. Um, also, uh, the youth group will be going to the senior senior not senior citizen senior center at the fairgrounds tomorrow. Um, they will meet there at 10.30 in the morning and it'll be there till one. They'll be helping uh, the people there with their phones and electronics that, um, you know you do it all the time. Steeler has a grin on his face. He knows he helps, helps Gary with his all the time. So, uh. <laughs> but um, that's what they'll be doing uh, tomorrow from uh, 10.30 to one. Also, the mowing schedule is out on the bulletin board. If you can help uh, cut the church grass, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, June 18th, there's a deacon's meeting. And on June 20th, be young at heart. And we'll be heading to Crackle Barrel on that day. Updates are on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jim Wilgus uh, in your prayers, Sean Maynard, Jim Haney, Amber Spritzer in your prayers, and also those going to uh, the Peru uh, trip on Tuesday, so keep them in your prayers as well. I'm going to ask for a prayer, uh, a prayer request as well. Uh, me and Mandy have some friends that go to St. Andrew's Road Church of Christ. Uh, they're about our age. They're about 50 years old. A couple years ago, they lost their son on a mission trip. He was coming back from New York. Um, it was a senior year at Harding University, and he, as he was coming back, he got into an accident and died. They just found out today that their um, husband has brain cancer and hospice has been called. Uh, so if you can keep Amy Smith in your prayers, I mean, she's staying strong in her faith. And um, I'm sure losing a son and a husband has to be kind of hard for that family. And they're really good friends of ours. So but that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. We'll sing the first two verses of number 611. Take the name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you, child.
pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we come tonight. We thank you for the beautiful day that you've blessed us with, for the rain this morning, the sunshine this afternoon. More importantly, Father, for the opportunity we've had to assemble together to worship you and to remember your son. We pray for the church here, Father, for what it means to each of us. Help us to find a place to belong, a place to, to do your work. Help us to... Um, Help us to take your name with us wherever we go. Be a good reflection of you and your son, the love that you had for us. Many, Father, in this congregation, all of us, really, Father, are struggling with different things. Uh, some sickness, some anxiety, some depression. Uh, many other things going on in our life, Father, and we know that uh, having you in our life, your presence helps us through these difficult situations. Comfort us. Uh, cover us with your love and guide us in what we do. Help us, Father, to never lose our, our passion and our love for you. Watch over us, Father, this week as we go about our daily lives. Help us to not forget who we are and who we belong to. And again, Father, just help us to be a reflection of your love in all that we do. Thank you for all we have, all that we are. Most of all, we're thankful for your son. Guide us and bless us. Pray in Christ's name, amen.